of the mystery of Oak Island. coming out of your eyes? Well, now we have a solution for you. I got nothing. That's right. It's a bag of nothing. Pour a bag of nothing into your eyes and see the lasers go away. Brought to you by Gilboa Fruit. Gilboa Fruit, supplying you with your fruit favorites since 1976 and destroying laser eyes since 2009. I didn't realize we were going to be doing an improv skit and you totally caught me off guard and I just was like standing there with my mouth open. It was great. I was exactly what I was hoping you would say. Riley, how are you? I am really good. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, you know something? Uh, I think you and I are both in the same boat here on this. Don't think we've talked about it. I'm vaccinated. or not, Like partially vaccinated. Me too. How'd you do? Well, I got incredibly sick. I got AstraZeneca, the, the UK. Oh, you got the ghetto one. No, it's not ghetto. So <laughs> I learned I learned something about it too. That it, So people are calling it that because the efficacy number is lower than Pfizer and Moderna. What I found out though, is all these vaccines were tested at different times with different people with different things going on. So Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca were tested against variants. Oh, okay. So, of course, they didn't do as well. But the great thing about all of them is that they basically give you like a 100% chance of survival if you're fully vaccinated. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So it was a pretty big deal. Very emotional. I, I was sick for about three or four days with fever and body aches and, and fatigue. That's the worst I've heard. That's the worst side effect I've heard. Well, I've got a weird immune system, right? I've got Crohn's disease. So that uh, that's not, you know, out of the norm of uh, out of the realm of the norm. The realm of the norm? The norm of the realm. Out of the realm of Norman the norm. Norman Railing. Great uh, Norman Mailer. Great writer. Yeah. Okay, that made no sense. He had a feud with Gore Vidal, and it's oh. kind of fast. Gore Vidal and Norman Mailer well, know, hated but each why, other. Why? I feel like a lot of people hated Gore Vidal. They're just pissy writers, right? Mm. Well, Gore Vidal. Gore Vidal was hilarious, but what a pissy man. Yeah, I like Gore Vidal, and I, I actually am, I agree with a lot of things that he you know, thought and, and argued for. He was, he's those kind of authors that have just a really theatrical personality and you can't he knew he was great right he knew he was was uh, and he had that bitchy new york you know attitude where i've got it all fucking figured out there was a famous uh debate that he was a part of against a very right-wing uh thinker southern guy i'm trying to remember his name they made a documentary about it and it was fascinating because it was the ba the battle of these two great wits Mm -hmm. and, and it became very personal. It's a fascinating story. A terrible one that I'm telling because I can't tell you the name of the doc. Oh, hold on. Well, we can use magic to make this go away. Gore Vidal documentary. Yeah, best of enemies. Is it Norman Mailer? No, it's not Norman Mailer. Because they had a famous, famous 
ongoing feud. Yeah, here it is. The documentary is Best of Enemies, Buckley versus Vidal. And it was William F. Buckley was the guy that he... Yeah, William F. Buckley, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was a bit of a jackass. Yeah. Okay. Well, Riley, this is part two of... The Mystery of Oak Island. I'm so excited. I was so into part one. I When I said it like that, did I sound like the storyteller from Jim Henson's The Storyteller? Oh, come into my fireplace area here with my big dog. I have a story to tell you. What is that? You don't remember that show? No. The Storyteller. It was like late 1980s. Oh my God, you would love it. I was in university then. Oh, but it's so fantastic. A lot of people have said to me, like, you know, kid shows from the 80s, check it. But no, I was too old and cool. It was, it's on Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. And I highly encourage you to check it out because it's Jim Henson as well. So it's those beautiful, beautiful, beautiful puppets. It's dark too. It's not meant for little kids. It was a bit scary. There was a um, famous Jim Henson Christmas special that I had never heard of and finally watched it recently. And it was... Christmas with badgers or something and what? it was so weird it was I never watched it that. this Christmas and it was it was on someone's list of top 10 Christmas specials you've never seen and I watched it and I was like that was really weird well he would have been involved maybe with the uh Christmas special the Star Wars Christmas special no let me find out what it was you get to look up stuff I'll look something up Here it is. It is called Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Never heard of it. When did that air? Like in the 80s as well? 70s, 80s, 90s? 1977. Oh, cool. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Was it good? It's trippy. It's really very odd. Very odd. Okay, let's get uh, to our story here. We uh, kept people waiting a full week. Let's not keep them waiting anymore. I'm so excited. All right. So let's go back now to the year 1909. Captain Henry L. Bowden arrives on Oak Island in August of that year, representing the Old Gold Salvage Group, one of whose members was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Oh, wow. FDR. Yeah, yeah Future course. President of the United States. Beloved. Yes. By this time, the area was cleared out to 113 feet and divers were sent down to investigate because they're now at this point in technology where they can do that. Although multiple borings were taken in and around the pit, none of the cores revealed anything of interest. Bowden also examined Smith's Cove where drain tunnels and a ring bolt in a rock had reportedly been seen. So it almost looked like something they said that um, like a bolt into a rock that maybe a anchor or something heavy could have been attached to. So maybe to help lower things. So like, uh, you know what I'm picturing? Those things, and I don't know how to properly say it, piton or python, when you rock climb, you pound those into the cracks of rocks and they can hold a lot of weight. That's right. That's what I'm picturing. Where was it? Okay, so although the group found the remains of an 1850 cofferdam, no evidence of anything else was found. The group left the island in November of 1909, but Roosevelt kept up with the Oak Island news and developments for most of the rest of his life. He was that taken by the whole mystery. And really the only reason why I include that story is that he's in it, and it's kind of cool. In 1928, a New York newspaper published a feature story about Oak Island. William Chapel became interested and excavated the pit in 1931 by sinking a 12 by 14 foot, 163 foot shaft 
southwest of what he believed was the site of the 1897 shaft, which was thought, without evidence, to be near the original pit. So at this point in time now, they're having to guess where the original money pit was because it's been dug up, collapsed, redug so many times with all these other pits, it's kind of becoming really difficult to know exactly where the original dig took place. And when you, I know this now, just from life, when you excavate, the soil is never the same because that soil was probably packed for like thousands of years. And when you make it loose and stuff, it, it changes the quality of it. Like it doesn't become as durable. So that's even McGinnis, that's what they, they originally found, right? That's how they, they kind of figured that this was a filled in tunnel because the sides of the tunnel were hard. It was hard, hard clay. Mm -hmm. This stuff was loose. You could easily uh, take it out with their shovels and stuff. What, they weren't breaking through hard ground. As grim as this sounds, it's also how they locate bodies in forests. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah, because the, the, the soil settles and it's different quality. That's very grim. Thanks a lot. This was going to be an uplifting, happy, joyous story. Can I ask you another question? Since we since we're kind of in pause land, can I ask you another question? So it it hit. You said the newspaper, the New York Times, like a New York newspaper, right? Uh, yeah, a new a New York uh, newspaper. So that must have attracted a lot of treasure hunters too. It did because it's is that probably the first time it was really widely publicized, right? Well, people knew about it, but that's a big audience. Yeah, and you have to remember that people were publicizing it for all, you know, starting in the 200 and some years before when they first started because they needed money, right? So they, they were advertising, there is a treasure here. But I'm talking about like newspaper. I'm talking about the media of the time. It's hitting the newspaper and people are going, whoa. It became more well-known amongst the general public at that time. Right. I bet, I bet, I bet a lot of yahoos came out of the out of the you know with a with a spade and a dream yes but you needed to have a license in order to dig there so not oh. just anybody could show up you had to get a permit from the government of canada from sorry from the um province of nova scotia in order to dig there ah. and remember people own the land yeah right right right, right of course so there's two things you have to have permission from the owner and then you have to get this treasure hunting permit from the province okay good point point. and to our american listeners who may not know or people from abroad I know we have a we have a global audience again how did that happen wonderful love it but Canada's broken up um in provinces much the same way as the United States is broken up into states yes our Australian and uh, New Zealand and UK listeners will and our Irish listeners will know what we're talking about yeah our provinces are huge they're huge oh yeah they're too big we have to downsize at 127 feet a number of artifacts including an axe a fluke anchor and a pick were found. The pick was identified as a Cornish miner's pick, but by this time the area around the pit was littered with debris from previous excavation attempts and finding the owner was basically impossible. Can I ask you a question, a quick question? What is Cornish? Where is that from? Cornwall? I believe they're Welsh. It's Welsh? Because like Cornish hen, what does Cornish mean? I know that it's a term, but I've never bothered to actually look it up. Cornish people are a Celtic uh, ethnic group. Oh. And they're in the Cornwall area. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cornish. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Gilbert Hayden, an operator of a steel fabricating company, saw the 1928 article and was fascinated by the engineering problems involved in recovering the reported treasure. Hayden made six trips to Oak Island and collected books and articles about it. He went to England to consult Harold T. Wilkins, who was the author of Captain Kidd and His Skeleton Island, 
but a link he had found between Oak Island and a map in Wilkins' book. And to make a long story short, you know, this person was looking for a treasure that would have been deposited by Captain Kidd, and links were starting to be made again between Captain Kidd and this supposed Skeleton Island, and perhaps Skeleton Island was in fact Oak Island, where Kidd's treasure was buried. Okay. Got it. I wonder why Captain Kidd would pick somewhere so inhospitable, because that's the Atlantic in that part of the world isn't great. It isn't, but there would be reasons for that, though, right? It's part of that would be part of it. After Chapel's excavations, Heaton began digging in the summer of 1935, after he purchased the southeastern end of the island. Further excavations were made in 35 and 36, not one of which was successful. Robert Restel, his 18-year-old son and work partner Carl Gracer came to Oak Island in 1959 after signing a contract with one of the property owners. In 1965, they tried to seal what was thought to be a storm drain in Smith's Cove and dug a shaft down to 27 feet. On August 17th, Restall was overcome by hydrogen sulfide fumes. His son then went down the shaft and also lost consciousness. Gracer and two others... Cyril Hiltz and Andy DeMont then attempted to save the two men. A visitor to the site, Edward White, had himself lowered on a rope into the shaft, but was able to bring out only DeMont. Restall, his son, Gracer, and Hiltz all died. Oh my god. So I don't, I'm assuming the hydrogen sulfide was some sort of natural pocket that they had hit. Oh yeah, but just dying from asphyxiation from Mm -hmm. gas. Imagine all these guys piling in after one another to try and get the next guy out and they're all dying. Oh, that's awful. And and in a way they died heroes because they were doing a selfless act to try and save someone else, right? Yeah, but still, what a gross way to die. Yeah. So that year, Robert Dunfield leased portions of the island. Dunfield dug the pit area to a depth of 134 feet and a width of 100 feet by using a 70-ton digging crane with a clam bucket. Remember you asked me earlier in the last episode, what, um, like, could you find the money pit? Mm-hmm. No, because it's gone. Like, the, these guys obliterated it. Yeah, because there's so many people have just not responsibly excavated. Well, 100 feet wide. And yeah. 134, like they, they they destroyed the whole area. It's kind of like the nuclear option, right? They blew it up. Yeah. Transportation of the crane to the island required the construction of the causeway, which we mentioned as well in the first episode. And it's the way you get to the island now. It still exists. And that was built on the western end of the island to Crandall's Point on the mainland 200 meters away. Dunfield's lease ended in August of 1966. And after doing all that work and, quite frankly, all that damage... They found nothing. Uh. In January 1967, Daniel C. Blankenship, David Tobias, Robert Dunfield, and Fred Nolan formed a syndicate for exploration on Oak Island. Two years later, Blankenship and Tobias formed Triton Alliance after purchasing most of the island. There's a whole big running feud with these guys too between Fred Nolan and Blankenship and Tobias. It's a messy thing that I... I'm not going to bother getting into because it's just nasty legal stuff, but they're, you know. I love that they purchased most of the island. They have the eastern part of the island where the money pit was, and Fred Nolan has the western part. And that actually gets interesting. There's stuff that comes out of that. I wonder how expensive it was to buy all that. Yeah, I don't know. Triton workers excavated a 235-foot shaft known as Borehole 10X because we're talking now, you know, this is the 1960s, 70s, 
and that is such a 1960s, 70s name. Nothing like the gold shaft or pirate's <laughs> chasm. It's Borehole 10X and supported by a steel caisson. To, and they got down to bedrock. And this was done in 1971. According to Blankenship and Tobias, cameras lowered down the shaft into a cave recorded possible chests, human remains, wooden cribbing and tools. However, the images were unclear and none of the claims have been independently confirmed. Oh, okay. I will say this for them. It's not like they were gaining financially by saying this is what we saw. They're simply saying this is, you know, it's not like VCRs were even, I mean, I guess they could have recorded it. Yeah. Film maybe. I, I don't know how that would have worked back then. But it's not like now where everything's digital and it's easy to record things. So that shaft, of course, later collapsed and the excavation was again abandoned. The shaft was later redug to 181 feet, reaching bedrock, but work was halted due to a lack of funds and the collapse of the partnership. Divers into the bottom of Borehole 10X in 2016 found none of these artifacts. Oh, okay. During the 1990s, further exploration stalled because of legal battles between the Trident Partners and a lack of financing. The one interesting thing to come out of this time was the discovery of what is called the Stone cross fred nolan the guy i mentioned earlier who kind of got left out of trident and had the shitty part of the island in the west the west part yeah yeah he's the one who discovered it, and he discovered it actually many years before but kind of kept mum about it uh what he found were a series of stones placed where if you traced lines between them they formed a perfect celtic cross fred nolan uh says these stones in the shape of a cross, also point towards the money pit. Who lay it out and why that was also laid out is completely unknown. Is it a cross like the red cross where all sides are equal or is it like a Christian cross? I wish I had the picture of it. Well, you've seen it. Just tell me. It's No, it's more like a Christian cross. Okay. So one's, there's a longer part. So if you, if you take a, it looks like a Christian cross. Just type in Oak Island Stone Cross. Okay, hold on. And you can see it for real life, like from an aerial photo of it. Oh, it's big. It's huge. Oh, yeah. This is the thing with this, Riley. That, sorry, this isn't uh, like isolated. This is like hundreds of feet big. Oh, it's just a bunch of stones. I see. Okay. But the stones, there's the, the headstone, which is the one where the where the lines intersect. It's huge. Like it, it, it's really, really big. So it's like Easter Island shit. Like how'd they get that there? And the rocks are not indigenous to the island. Oh, I see a whole diagram where it makes a star. Oh, mm -hmm. spooky, witchy, witchy, woo. Okay. So it was announced in April of 2006 that brothers Rick and, Rick and Marty Legina. <laughs> what? Wait, what? Rick and Marty Legina or Legina. Legina. <laughs> we're, we're 10 years old right now. Oh boy! I'd be, I'd be the minute I hit eighteen. I'd be down at the registrar, changing my name. Uh -huh. It must be Legina. It probably is Legina. Legina? What did I say? Legina. Probably Legina. Legina would be good. Legina. I think these guys are behind the TV show. So if we watch that, we might learn something. So these guys from Michigan had purchased fifty percent of Oak Island tours from David Tobias for an undisclosed sum. The Michigan group, working with Blankenship, said that it would resume operations on Oak Island in the hope of discovering buried treasure and solving, finally, the island's mystery. 
In July of 2010, Blankenship and other stakeholders in Oak Island Tours announced on their website that the government of Nova Scotia had granted them a treasure trove license, which allowed them to resume activities until December 31, 2010. After December 2010, the departments repealed the treasure trove license and replaced it with the Oak Island Treasure Act. The act, which became effective on January 1, 2011, allows treasure hunting to continue on the island under the terms of a license issued by the Minister of Natural Resources. Exploration by the Lagina Brothers has been documented in a reality television show airing on the History Channel, which started all the way back in 2014. So Netflix must have gotten the license recently because it just showed up for me like a year ago. To start uh, to start streaming that that those the Oak Island show and I got, I got through th- I got through three episodes and I'm like this is ponderous. I might skim through it and see because I, I I would actually just watch it to to see some of these things you know like that we've talked about the last little while. Okay, so let's get to the second fun part to this big story: the theories. Can't wait. What's buried? Who's behind it? So I'm going to start with what I think is the boringest one. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Okay. So according to some, there is no treasure. The pit is a natural phenomenon, probably a sinkhole connected to limestone passages or caverns. A number of sinkholes and caves to which the booby traps are attributed, and that's a big quotation, booby traps, exist on the mainland near the island. Its resemblance to a human-made pit has been suggested as partly due to the texture of natural accumulated debris in sinkholes. So think that there's a natural sinkhole and things have flowed into it over time and have become buried in it. Yeah, but some of the things they found, like watch chains, where would they come from? Watch chains, the parchment, coconut, the eelgrass, the perfectly planned beach, right, with these drainage drainage pipe it right I yeah agree. like exactly. if that was like ground zero for shipwrecks i'd buy it a little bit but i know that area is not ground zero for shipwrecks so Mm-mm. no in fact it's a very protected area yeah it doesn't make like, sense there's to me. storms that hit there but it's not yeah this filling would be softer than the surrounding ground and the impression that it had been dug up before so what we were talking about as well that would also explain it that it would look a little bit different mm-hmm. the platforms of rotten logs have been attributed to trees damaged by blowdowns or wildfires periodically falling or washing into the hollow. And getting buried 100 feet down or 80 or whatever it was? Come in on. perfect symmetry. Yeah, come on now. And in, in perfect 10-foot increments. Yeah, no, no, no. Another pit similar to the yearly description of the money pit was discovered in the area of 1949 when workmen were digging on a well on the shore of Mahome Bay, which is interesting, but again, doesn't necessarily mean it was natural either. Exactly. Some people have argued that, in fact, it was a practice uh, pit or perhaps another part of this complex. Okay. So we put that one away. The next one is the Captain Kid theory. And this theory is pretty simple and straightforward. Kid hid his treasure there. But many discredit this theory and point out that Kid, and I didn't really know this until doing research on this subject, wasn't really a true pirate. No. Oh. He was actually really well respected in. Uh, England. He was a privateer. He became governor at one point, and he ended up being tried, convicted, and killed, executed as a pirate. But it was really some internal sort of politics going on Mm -hmm. where people felt he had gained too much power. He pissed off the wrong people, 
and they cut his feet and sort of set him up uh, to make him look bad. But this guy wasn't really into, you know, stealing things and uh, hiding them. He, as a privateer, would steal things from the French and the Spanish and give it back to the crown and receive payment back. Oh, okay, okay. It was like legal pirating. So he was just fucking with their enemies. Essentially, think of it, he was kind of like um, special forces. Yeah. Uh, and they all did that, right? The French and the Spanish, they all had their privateers. Ooh, he was he was the he was the original black ops. Yes. Mm. So it's cool. And he didn't really operate in that area either. There is another pirate theory, though, that is a little bit more likely. And it involves William Phipps. He worked in that exact area of the world. He plundered Spanish and French colonies as a privateer. And he is a bit more of a questionable character. But even with him, it's doubtful that he would have had the time, the money, and the know-how to construct what is on Oak Island. Okay. Right? They're not operating huge fleets of ships and men. And where would the engineering ideas come from? Like something this, right? Took a, a certain degree of skill to construct that kind of pit in that kind of way. That's right. So some say the original inhabitants, the Mi'kmaq, were responsible for the complex. This makes sense from a chronological sense as they were there for thousands of years before the arrival of Europeans. However, there is nothing in their history that suggests they had anything to do with it. As we know, uh, Indigenous peoples have incredible oral histories that, you know, I think people are getting better at accepting as fact and not just sort of downplaying them as, oh, well, those are just stories. This is how they recorded their history. And they're incredible sources of information. There's nothing in Mi'kmaq, uh, in their lore and history, about anything ever being buried anywhere. As well, while they were incredibly resourceful people and very had a very sophisticated culture, they were not known for heavy construction projects. And what on earth would they be hiding in something like that? Right. So there's another theory, and this was another neat one, about the Norsemen. They were actually the first Europeans to try and colonize North America and Atlantic Canada specifically. We all have that idea that uh, Columbus was the first European to discover the Americas, and that's just not true. There's even speculation, I don't know if you know this, that the Chinese may have been uh, to North America a couple hundred years before the Norse. Did you know that? They were looking for good property in Vancouver. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) It had to be said. Well, it's a problem where uh, a lot of uh, internationals are buying property in Canada not living there and driving the property values up to the point where people living here can't afford to buy a home. Well, it's all over the world. A friend of mine, uh, family comes from a a town on the coast of Portugal. And uh, he went back to visit his family and went to visit that town because there's no one there anymore. And the whole entire town is basically owned by Germans and Brits. Wow. Because it's coastal property and it's cheap. Because Portugal, well, it wasn't, it, it's not now, but it was traditionally a very inexpensive place to buy real estate. And it got gobbled right up. Beautiful country. I believe too, and I'm glad that a lot of countries are doing this, where they're putting in hoops that uh, foreign nationals have to jump through to buy real estate. Because I don't think, I don't quite agree with, you know, people coming from outside and just gobbling up all the good real estate. That's not cool. Well, I mean, I don't have a problem with people moving around the world. Um 
I do have a problem when it means that uh, it becomes harder for ordinary people to survive and live Amen. and have their own property. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it's not a, a xenophobic thing. Not at all. No, no, no. I'm not saying it for those reasons either. So back to the Norse. So according to this theory, the Norse established a colony at Mahone Bay. This is not far-fetched. They did, we know for sure they had established a colony in, in Newfoundland and uh, that they they lived there for a short period of time. The theory for this one goes that they actually prospered in isolation for perhaps as much as 500 years. Then due to a pandemic or an attack from the Mi'kmaq, their colony was decimated. Unable to continue, they hid all their valuables on the island, covered any trace of their existence there, and sailed back home in the hopes of one day returning, but were eventually lost at sea. Mm-hmm. There is no archaeological evidence to support this. Uh, as well, the coconut fibers suggest that whoever constructed this had been to a, a more southern clime, which the Norse had not. And, and there's nothing as well in, in the Norse sagas that describe anything like this, like a lost people or a lost colony or anything like that. Right. Okay. So I think that's fun, but it's not very likely. So... These next batch, I think, are the ones that are like the heavy hitters. Okay. These are the ones that I think have real teeth, and there's some evidence to support them. Good. Okay, cool. So the first one involves the French. In the early 1600s, France began to establish colonies in that general area. Port Royal was sort of the the main hub in Nova Scotia, and it was a hotly contested area between them and the English. In fact, the French and the English warred for over 150 years to see who would reign supreme. And that sort of culminated in, eventually, the Battle of the Plains of Abraham outside what is now Quebec City, or was Quebec City at that time, and where the English won, and that was it. In 1713, the French started construction of a huge fortress in Louisbourg in Cape Breton. Of course. Yeah, which is 240 miles north of Oak Island. You can visit it. It's a tourist thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's like old-timey where they're dressed up in costume of the period, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, I've been there many times. That, like, that's one you talked about your, with your asylum one, how inappropriate that was, that they're dressing up as inmates. Well, and just having a Halloween celebration... It's just gross. Yeah, this this one is appropriate. Anyway, so the theory here contends that the French were afraid to store all of their money for the project in one spot. So as this base was being constructed, they needed somewhere to hide their money to pay their workers, pay for material. And with theft and the constant threat of English invasion, they hid their money and valuables in the Oak Island complex. Okay. So Oak Island essentially acted as a hidden repository. This makes sense. And they definitely would have had the workforce and the time and the know-how to build something like this. Okay. Makes sense. The only problem with this theory, of course, though, is that nothing ever leaked out. Right. Right. Not Again, Not that's not necessarily evidence against the theory. It's still, it would have been a big project. Yeah, I'm sure they kept records of that sort of activity. Somebody somewhere must have known something. And there's nothing in those French records. You know, again, um, a civilization that recorded everything. Yeah, yeah. And nothing. The next theory involves the French as well. A year after losing Louisbourg in 1746, France assembled a huge fleet, 65 warships carrying over 3,000 troops to retake their lost stronghold. 
However, they ran into a lot of trouble crossing the Atlantic, losing a large portion of their fleet, including as they got close to the coast around the home bay, they, the, some ships were, were wrecked. So this theory contends that one of their pay ships, so that would be a ship whose sole responsibility was to carry the bullion and to pay their soldiers or things that they had to purchase when they got here, that uh, it found its way into Mahone Bay and that the crew buried their treasure there uh, to hide it from English capture. However, there's no evidence that they sent ships like that even through. Again, in their records, there's no account of bullion going missing or ships like that even being in the fleet, which makes sense because they weren't going to set up a colony. They were going there to strike back at the English. Well, yeah, and like they weren't sailing to a mall. What did they need to give all the soldiers money for? They would probably pay them when they returned, right? I mean, you're being looked after. You're being fed and housed when you're on a military excursion. Where are you going to spend your money? Well, it makes sense if they're going to be there for a long time and live there. Yeah, then, of course, yeah. Did you know uh, part of my, um, my existence is directly connected to this story? So my great-grandfather, seven times removed, was a French soldier who fought at the Plains of Abraham for the French, survived, and was allowed to stay by the English. He became a farmer, and the rest is history. Well, that explains a lot. What? Nothing. So the, the next theory is that the Acadians, remember I mentioned them all the way at the beginning of uh, part one? Mm-hmm. So this theory is that the Acadians constructed the complex. So anticipating their expulsion from the land, they buried their valuables, hoping to one day return and retrieve them. So the Acadians were original inhabitants, French inhabitants, very peaceful people. Mm-hmm. And there was war back and forth between the French and the English. In 1713, there was they lost their territory with the uh, Treaty of Utrecht. And they all of a sudden found themselves living on uh, English territory. When this the expulsion occurred, the English were worried that these people would, they wouldn't, they refused to take up arms for the English. So the English were worried that they would turn and actually fight for the French. So they actually just got rid of all of them. Many of them were sent to Louisiana, New Orleans, like the Creole and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. that's where the, they're, they're uh, Acadian. There's a huge Canadian connection between uh, between that part of the world and, and, and New Orleans. Yeah. So while they were very affluent people and capable, and some argue that this would have, some people argue that this would have been complete overkill for what they actually had. Yes, they were rich merchants and stuff like that, but... Again, not gonna. You're not gonna construct a, you know, sweeping, massive thousands of tunnels and stuff like that to hide your gold or whatever that you might have in your house. And that would right? have taken a long time to build. Yeah, I mean, unless you have incre- an incredible workforce, or you're an alien. Well, those lights we talked about. Maybe it is. Yeah. Aliens. A neat theory involves Mary Antoinette's jewels. So Mary Antoinette, of course. Of course. Yes, was the queen of, of France during the um, uh, the French Revolution. Her jewels, uh, missing except for specimens in museum collections, may have been hidden on the island. This is one of the theories of what may have been hidden there. And they're supposed to be incredibly ex- uh, valuable and expensive jewels, right? If ever found, would, would fetch maybe a billion dollars. And I just literally pulled that number out of uh, the air. <laughs> But I do remember reading, they're extremely valuable. They're probably, because of their historic value, literally priceless. Yes, they would be priceless. 
On October 5, 1789, revolutionaries incited an angry mob of Parisian working women to march on the Palace of Versailles. According to an undocumented story, Mary Antoinette instructed her maid, or lady-in-waiting, to flee with her jewels. The maid fled to London with the jewels and perhaps artwork documents and other treasures secreted on her person and or her luggage. The woman then fled from London to Nova Scotia. Now, the next theory. Again, that one's weird too because who built again the complex? So it's a fun one, but not, I don't put much weight on it. If I was that chick too, the minute I hit London, I'd be walking all over town wearing that shit. I'd be like, look at my necklace. I look fine. All right. This next theory is my favorite. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this one. Buckle up. Okay, I'll get a sandwich. And this is the one that ties into uh, Indiana Jones a little bit. So some believe the large stone cross that we mentioned earlier is evidence of the Templar, the Knights Templar's presence on the island. Oh, this is getting good. Maybe it's the grail. Maybe the grail is there. I made big eyes at Riley there when he said that. So, the Knights Templar traced their origins to the Christian Crusades of the medieval period. In 1118, French knight Hugh de Pain established a military order to protect traveling Christian pilgrims as they visited holy sites and churches throughout Europe. The order, which is now known as the Knights Templar, were originally called the Poor Knights of Christ and of the Temple of King Solomon. The King of Jerusalem, Baldwin II, supplied these knights with living quarters in the royal palace within an area that had once been the Temple of Solomon. What was stored in the Temple of Solomon? The Ark of the Covenant. Okay. Because of their association and residence within the former Temple of Solomon, the Knights Templar got their name. The Knights lived communally, heard the divine word hourly, served at royal and papal courts, wore white habits with bold red Templar crosses on the front, similar to the one found on the island, by the way. They built castles protected towns, and defended Christian pilgrims. Did you get that part about building castles? Totally. Their primary duty was to fight to protect Christian pilgrims and defend crusader states in the Holy Land. In the 1120s, the Knights Templar received donations from monarchs and nobles, including titles, estates, land, money, valuable objects, artifacts, etc. They were the rock stars of the Western world. Everyone loved them and wanted to be, kids wanted to be them. They're so cool. They were like uh, Danny from Young and the Restless. Hey, kid, rock and roll, rock on. That wasn't his song, you know. Yeah, whose song was David it? David Essex. He, he was a British singer and he made that a hit. But then Danny came, came Romilotti came and did a cover of it. Oh, and they did that. it intentionally to just drum up more publicity for Y&R. Good, but didn't he have a singing career? Yeah, he did. Michael Damien, but a small one. Michael Damien, that's it. But yeah. only for 13-year-olds. He was handsome, though. Girls. He was handsome by 80 standards, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Anyway. So they established great wealth and the duty of protecting such great historic Christian relics as the Holy Grail, the Ark of the Covenant, and the Shroud of Turin. These are just some of the objects that may be, according to some scholars, still hidden on Oak Island. Wow. That's a good one. The Knights Templar had connections and trade relationships the world over. They could transport valuables across land and sea. They secured treasure houses that made them desired bankers and caretakers of valuables and artifacts of all types. Following the Crusader defeat by Sultan Saladin at the Battle of Haddon, 
Many of the Knights Templar were taken prisoner or executed. The Muslim armies took the last Crusader stronghold, the Fall of Acre, in the Holy Land in 1291, and the Knights Templar lost much of its land, wealth, and power as a result. To make matters worse, in France, King Philip IV feared the Knights Templar when they established their headquarters in Paris after Muslim soldiers overtook Jerusalem. He falsely accused Knights of crimes and blamed them for the failures of the Crusades. Eventually, King Philip IV convinced fellow Frenchman Pope Clement V to dissolve the Knights Templar entirely, which he did in 1312. In October of 1307, King Philip IV ordered the arrest of every Knight Templar in France, taking their property and wealth, for he feared the Knight's popularity with subjects, wealth, and power. Some speculate that the Knight Templar retained some of the most coveted Christian artifacts and moved these valuables to other parts of the world. They would have had the means, the expertise, and the motive to construct a complex like the one that has been unearthed on Oak Island. Oh God, and everyone loves the Knights Templar. They're so cool. Unfortunately, all the evidence, and there is, I mean, there's evidence, but it's all circumstantial. Of course it is. All circumstantial. Of course. You know, even the fact, like the, the Ark of the Covenant's lost. It's gone. Yeah. What happened to it? They had it. It's gone. The Holy Grail, gone. So it went somewhere. Yeah. Right? Another interesting one, not as sexy as the Knights Templar, is involves the, the British. And the theory goes that engineers and sailors dug the pit to store loot acquired in the British invasion of Havana, Cuba, during the Seven Years' War, valued at that time at about a million pounds. Huge. Right. And this one has a lot of teeth as well. And there's a lot of people that suggest, because again, this one is have some evidence suggesting that this occurred and had a lot of a very high up backing. This theory suggests that King George III, in an effort to strengthen his rule and not share the plunder, devised a plan to siphon a substantial amount of the booty taken out of Havana into a secret location and then draw upon that money when needed. So you have to remember at this time in Britain, the king had lost substantial amounts of power, Mm -hmm. right? Ever since Oliver Cromwell had come in and beheaded Charles I, even after Charles II came back into power, it was a very uh, coddled set of kings that ruled and, and queens. And I mean, look at them today, right? They're essentially just land barons. Yeah. They're not really, they don't really, I mean, they, they, they're figureheads, right? So King George III was actively trying to change that. He wanted to have direct control over the military. He was fighting with parliament over that. And some speculate that he wanted to have uh, his own private piggy bank to draw money from, to wrest control from those parliamentary forces. And this theory is supported by a number of factors. Booty recorded in official documents and what others said were there don't match up. So there are written documents of saying how much they found in Havana, but then what was actually taken back home is not the same. And it's substantial. It's a lot of money that was missing. Huge discrepancy. I'm sorry, Stephanie, we're going to have to let you go. Your cash didn't match tonight. You just didn't balance. (laughs) We're going to have to let you go. So the people that were placed in charge of this operation, the siege of Havana, were not obvious choices for this type of military operation. What's interesting about all of them, they were really close with George. They were his friends. Again, a bit suspicious and odd. During the 10-month siege, they would have had ample time to slip away and using special forces loyal to the king 
construct the complex. And if you go into more detail about it, they talk about how they could have been kind of like the way they do it now, kept in the dark of what was actually happening. One group could have gone in to bury this, uh, to create this complex underground. And then another group comes in with something in casks, not knowing what they what it was, maybe thinking that they were burying ammunition or things like that. Why so far away from England, though? Well, it's interesting because it would it's because it's in a protected place. If you bury it or go close to England, then it becomes much more likely that it's found. Like getting to it is a pain as well. It makes it so yeah, but out of it's reach. more common at this point now to to get across the ocean. But yes, fair enough, fair enough. One problem with this theory is why didn't anyone ever return for it? And the answer to that is that. Things were very volatile for George III, and perhaps he never felt safe enough to retrieve it and bring it home and to actually spend it on what he had intended to spend it on. And he's also the one that started to lose his mind. Is that the madness of King George, George? Yes. Ah. So, like, in the 1860s, he's already starting to to lose his mind. He lived for a long time, but he may have forgotten. Players uh, never acted on it because he never gave consent, but he may have also forgotten. Another sort of out there one is, and I think this is stupid, but it's, it is a theory and I'll bring it up and it's kind of fun, is that the treasure that's buried on the island is proof that Sir Francis Bacon was in fact Shakespeare, that there are manuscripts buried there. Yeah, there's a whole book written about it, the Oak Island Enigma, a history and inquiry into the origin of the money pit that says that manuscripts were hidden there and uh, it, it proves that not only was he Shakespeare, but that he was also the leader of a group called, and this is actually, this is interesting, called the Rosicrucians. And they're essentially a secret order that gave birth to like the Masonic orders and, and different, like the, the um, uh, what's the big one I'm trying to think of? Well, the Masons, right? Isn't it? Well, the Masons and then the, the ones that control the world there. Um, uh, the Illuminati? The Illuminati. And, and one interesting thing is that there is ties with the masons in this too there's markings that were found in oak island that apparently match markings that are from a confirmed mason temple in cuba uh, so who knows it's it's a fun possibility uh, you know and then there's theories of course that the masons themselves were behind this complex but the evidence is just not as but if anybody could do it right if anyone could do absolutely but but there's a connection as well with the knights templar and the masons that's where some say the Masons gained their knowledge was through Templar knowledge. So they could be one and the same. Wow. That whole Templar uh, Illuminati, all of that stuff is so complicated. You could spend the rest of your life reading books on that. I, I literally touched the surface of this. I glossed over a lot and it took two hours to, to gloss over this story. This story is Huge. Someday maybe you and I could do a two-parter and tackle together the that whole thing. Which whole thing? Like the Illuminati, its connection, all of that. That'd be a good one. Because that'd be a really there's good one. so much about that. It's fascinating. I would like to do a two-parter on how they got the fudge in Fudgios. Fudgios, those cookies? You're obsessed with grocery store cookies. Did you grow up poor? No. <laughs> no. What's wrong with Fudgios? Well, it's just kind of like, you know, Mama, can you make cookies? No. I bought some from the grocery store. Now rub mama's feet. That is exactly what my mom would say. <laughs> I'm, I need my feet rubbed, Danny. My mother used to kind of not outwardly say, but it was kind of a thing in our house that if you had store-bought cookies that you weren't a good mother. Oh my God. 
My mother was a great mother. She would always put me to bed. I'd have a nice glass of milk on the side, a bag of hostess chips. Wait, in bed? Yeah, and always at the foot of my bed, a nice box of cereal, like Count Chocula, Frankenberry, Booberry, Golden Grahams, Lucky Charms, something like that. Always at the foot of my bed. Thank you, Mum. You're lying. Yep. I was trying to figure out who, what mother put cereal at the foot of the person's bed and a bag of chips. What do you think? What do you think? I love this fucking story. What do you think, though? Okay, well, this is this is the thing. So whoever built it knew what they were doing. I think you can immediately remove um, pirates from the equation because yeah. their expertise wouldn't be in digging holes and engineering to that extent. Yeah. So we got to take them out of the equation. Whoever built that excavation, and I do believe what you said at the beginning where they went down and found structures and yeah. reinforced walls and, you know, ma- in masonry. intervals too. It was, it was exact 10 feet. Yeah, so to me... And that's stone too. To me, that indicates that somebody went in and very meticulously constructed some something but why did they do it to what end and will we ever know you know that i'm not someone who goes for the fantastic usually like i'm pretty reserved you're pragmatic in my gut and that means nothing but my gut tells me it's the templars i do think it's the templars it's just such a weird place to choose it's so remote and awful in that time like i love that area now but i mean there would be nothing there and a perfect place to hide the most prized possessions of in the world but they wouldn't be protected like one good hurricane could wash that i don't know man i don't know you think okay if they were if they were religious um icons like religious objects like the grail or the ark of the cow or any of that stuff anything like even the nails that were in christ's hand whatever those are called yeah any of those religious items you wouldn't put them someplace where there was any danger of losing them, would you? Well, I think they've proven that there wasn't. The years, they're so well protected. But they lost them. So maybe yeah. what was there is gone. Correct. So whoever engineered the pit, it served its purpose. They dug it up and off they went. Correct. So there's a theory that it was taken out by the original creators of the complex, right? Not, not None of the treasure hunters found it. But the authors of this took it and, and brought it somewhere else. There are others, though, that suggest that it, at some point it was discovered. Right. And they kept it under wraps. There is an interesting story about a local woman. I think she was from Chester, who they discovered had like a chest full of gold in her attic. Well, if anybody did, it would be someone from Chester. It was, uh, I think it was Spanish bullion or something like that. I was like, what is that? And. And they're very coy about, and I think she had connections to the 1860 dig. So it's possible that it was also pulled by, at some point, but because they didn't either want, they didn't want to share it or they believed there was more and didn't want people flocking to it. Uh, they hid its discovery. So people are still there to this day looking. Yes. Okay. And they are finding weird things. That sh- that show, the, the, I, the one I saw, like they found a, coin they found like a, a a spanish coin yeah so there's stuff there but i mean that could have washed ashore yeah. who knows how that the one i saw there. they were just in this metal sh- really claustrophobic metal shaft mm. that had been bored into the earth looking for something it was just boring it was really really boring um no pun intended haha <laughs> get it and here's the other interesting thing they've alluded to that there may be even more to this complex than we realized right 
and now it's like look, searching for a needle in the haystack. Well, indiscriminate excavation has destroyed the integrity of the site. Yeah. So I, I'm going with uh, either the Templar or the English commando Havana bullion being buried there. My vote is undecided. I can't really, I can't really land on any space conclusively. And with the English one too, that would coincide with what the people from Mahome Bay saw, which was people on the island with bonfires doing something. Two people go too close to investigate what happens. They kill them because you're not allowed to see this. Right. I don't know, but what a great legend. No wonder people are obsessed with this. Yeah. I had no idea it went so far back and was so frustrating. It's a frustrating story. It's so, for that rock getting lost is the most frustrating thing. Well, and, and I, I actually didn't really know a lot about this. Mine that, well, I mentioned the neighbor that falls asleep. Mm-hmm. Her father-in-law, he's big in on it. I believe the book I read was from him. But it, it this is huge in that area still, too. It's not like the locals go, ah, it's just a tourist trap. No, there's a lot of people that believe in it. And I get it now, too. Like, I, I find it uh, fascinating. I initially thought until... The episode one, and this is episode two of the two-parter, but until you started telling me the story, I just thought it was a, a treasure legend that a few people went and tried to dig up. I didn't think it was as compl- complicated as it is. And I remember you, and initially I told you, I'm thinking of doing this. You're like, ah, right? I said that about everything. Here, Riley, here's $10,000. Ah, I would like 20000 would be better. I t- what am I going to do with 10000 It'll just make me sad. You, you keep it. Um, all right. Well, look, I think we've kept people long enough again. You've kept me long enough again. I need to go shave. Yeah. Yeah. This was a long, long episode. It was good, though. You did good. This will get us our daytime Emmy for sure. Do they give Emmys out to podcasts? They should. Maybe we'll start a trend. Well, that's it for the uh, mystery of Oak Island. Uh, Thanks for tuning in for part one and two. If you didn't listen to part one and you listened to this whole thing, Boy, oh boy, at what point did you go, geez, I think I'm missing part of the story. So now you need to go back and listen to part one. And then you're probably going to want to listen to this again. Mm -hmm. So you've got some listening to do, listener, that made that mistake. Yeah. Okay, so that's it for uh, this episode. Uh, Riley, anything you want to share with uh, with anybody? Uh, no, you beautiful people. Keep listening. Keep being weird. We love you. Thank you for uh, joining us on this journey. As always, we love having you here. And you are why we do it. I sound like a telethon. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, I sounded like a telethon, didn't I? Now you're going to you know, send us money and we'll pray for you and uh, through so our show. Every fucking year when I was a kid, I vowed, because my parents said, okay, try it to watch the entire Jerry Lewis telethon and I never did it. I couldn't. The whole thing? Well, he would stay up. They would do it? No, I wanted to. Oh it was a rite of passage because I'd go to school and, you know, wh- whoever would be like, I stayed up and watched the entire Jerry Lewis telethon. My rite of passage would be uh, showing up at the pub at 11 a.m. on St. Patty's Day and staying till close. Did you really do that? Many times. That would explain a lot. Yeah. All right. If you enjoyed what you've uh, been listening to, even this uh, stupid banter at the end here, uh, please share the word of the weird with your friends, your families, your loved ones. Uh, The guy at the gas station that you see periodically pumping 
uh, gas into his vehicle at the same time as you scream over to him and say, hey, I'm listening to something on my phone called The Weird, not spelled W-E-I-R-D, but spelled old-timey, W-Y-R-D. He'll be leaving at that point, but uh, you will have done your part. Thank you for that. God, that was a long moment. That was like a whole play you just did. It was. It was written Gas by Station Edward Drama Albee as well. by Edward Albee. Okay. It was the sequel to um, The Sandbox. Shut up. You've said enough tonight. Okay. Bye. Good night, everyone. I'm on my feet rub, Danny. <laughs>